Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Dr. Veronica Anderson is an MD. And for her, that means many dimensions. She's a surgeon, a mother, a black belt, and a two-time marathon runner, here to talk to you about your health, your happiness, and your world. It's Wellness for the Real World with Dr. Veronica. Yes, and welcome to Wellness for the Real World. We really are going to try to talk about our happiness. And I want to start off saying... And Jesus said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Well, guess what? The stones were cast at me, and here I am, divorced. So when this happens, what do we do? And one thing that I have been working with in my own life, and you know that I like to script these shows based on things that I see in my life, my friends, all this other type of stuff, because that means everybody else is going through it too. I'm just willing to talk about it. I want to know how do we move on. Now, I originally put out my query and said, okay, when you decide that love is gone, what do you decide to do? How do you decide whether you're going to move on or you're going to stay? And I got all these all these things back saying, well, you have to forgive, and you have to do this, and you have to do that. Okay, guess what? I got stoned by the man, and I've forgiven him from stoning me, but now I'm out of the castle. I'm looking for a new castle. How do I look for that new castle, and how do I lick my wounds? And you know that scripture I read, if you're anything, if you're a Christian, you know that was what Jesus said about the woman who committed adultery. And I'll let you know, on the way out of my marriage, I said to my former husband, this isn't working for me. I'm out of here. I need new friends, and that includes that I probably will have new male friends, and it could be intimate. So after this happened, the stones were cast. There was no forgiveness by Mr. Super Christian. So here I am, Dr. Veronica, divorced woman, and i got to tell you that one of the interesting things I found about being divorced is I decided I really did want out my marriage, and a lot of people agreed with that. And I'll tell you that I decided that it was just time. I just felt like I needed to be someplace else, needed to do someplace else, so I don't have all these horrible things that I want to say about my former husband. I mean, we could all list different things about our spouses because you know that person. He's, I knew him and been with him longer than I was with my parents, and so he's probably the best person that knows me. So I can throw stones at him and he can throw at me, but that's not what this is about. This is about here we are now, and what do we do to move on, okay? So number one, how do I – one thing I noticed is I felt intense grief, and I wasn't necessarily allowed to have that grief, according to a lot of the world, because I decided I wanted out of the marriage. So good for you. You're the one that decided you were out. 
just deal with it. That's how a lot of people feel about it when you walk out of your marriage, okay? Um, but the second thing that happened is I got, ma- I got divorced, and let's say we got divorced, and I was married over two decades. And 35 days after that divorce, my former husband remarried. Now, don't ask all the things about, like, was he with the woman and all that, because it's all kind of irrelevant now. Um, but I'll let you know that when he did this, he didn't let our sons know before he did it. It was a pretty interesting experience that morning that I had found out, and I was shocked that after that many years, all of a sudden somebody else had just replaced me like that, okay? Um, But when I called up my son, my second son, and said to him, because my friend said, you know, you got to be the adult in this situation now. He's going off the deep end. you got to, you know, you got to make sure you keep the kids together. I call up my son, my second son, and I said, I know your father has married someone else, and, and my son said, he what? He what? i got to go right now quick. Let me just say that one of the reasons I wanted to do this show is because the way we probably both left the relationship, the way the moving on has happened with new romance, I think that there's a better way. There's got to be a better way. So now I'm in a point in life where I'm saying, okay, if I don't want to introduce more drama and trauma into the lives of my sons, if I want to think about my children, and I know people out there saying, well, you didn't think about the children or you would stay married to the man, but guess what? My children see me a lot happier now because I was really clinically depressed, laying on the floor crying, not doing that anymore. I'm happy. And guess what? Yes, you, I have to be happy as an individual in order to be able to love someone else and be happy with them, okay? So everybody philosophically believes this is different, but how do I move on? How do I feel good, really, about my life, about my relationship? How does he feel good about what he's going through now? How do my sons adjust to this? And adjusting for little kids is different than adjusting for teenagers, which is different than adjusting for adult children. And so today I have bunches of people on who many of them are psychologists, some of them are experts on being the super single parent, and we're going to talk, and I want everyone who is my guest to give strategies to people, okay? We're not casting blame here. Everything happened the way it did. This is just the way life is. How do we go on and give strategies for people living the best life they possibly can after they've gone through this traumatic experience of divorce. Because I I do think for most people it's traumatic. Now, we even have somebody who comes on and says people can come in holding hands and mediate and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) I just would like to see that because I don't know anybody like that. But, okay, I believe there are some people who can be like that. But, my co-host Russell is here, but before I let Russell say anything, i got to ask you guys a favor. You guys know I do marathons, and you think I'm crazy just because I do with marathons, but let me tell you how I started doing marathons. I started doing them because I fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society team and training. I need you to go to the Blog Talk Radio site. I need you to click on there, give me a dollar per mile. I'm doing the hard work here. I'm running the 26.2 miles. 
I need you to donate. These are for people who are sick. I talk about wellness for a real world. I've seen kids die from leukemia and lymphoma. I've, in days in my office, wanted to lay down and cry because I've heard of patients who were 30 and 32 who had two-year-old kids who laid down and died. We need people who give money to help people like this when they lose their jobs, to help people when they have cancer, and to give research money for us to try to figure out how these people can heal from their cancer and maybe how they could not have it all in the first place. So I'm running June 5th from a third time San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon. Remember, I'm doing the hard work. Yeah, I know the economy's poor, but you don't have cancer. And so thank God and give a part of your unemployment check if you're unemployed. But everybody else, y'all ain't got no excuse. So that's my Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Please go to blogtalkradio.com slash wellness for the real world. You'll see the big banner up there. Y'all, please, give me some money. And it's not for me. This is for people who have cancer. Russell, welcome. Thanks for being with us again. Russell's my beautiful co-host. Russell, how are oh, you? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm just fine, especially after you call me beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Russell is a handsome guy. I want everybody to know that. He really is. I love <laughs> Russell and I traveled together a lot, and you should see the heads turning. And he thinks people are looking at me, but I think people are looking at him. But we'll never no, know. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually annoyed because they are looking at you, and they're supposed to be looking at me. But that's another <laughs> that's another episode. And, and actually, as you say, <laughs> we have got we have fights about which guys are hot and which are not. Luckily, Russell and I don't have the same taste in men. I'll let you say that. So on that note, Russell, I'll let you make a comment and, and start introducing our guests. Well, as you say, Veronica, um, um, th- th- our topic tonight has certainly been a moving target. <laughs> we we generally, we're pretty good. We, we uh, sketch out our shows, map out our shows like a month in advance, and we're pretty good. And we nail down our topic, and it always sort of morphs a little bit. But this one, this week, boy, what did we start out? I think we started out with, like, you know, how to care for your new kitten or something, and now... <laughs> Now we're up to uh, how not to serve time for killing your spouse and children <laughs> or something like that. So um, let's move to our first guest here. We have a, a fine gentleman by the name of Leon Scott Baxter, uh, who is America's romance guru. And, now, uh, <laughs> I, I, well, well, I'm yes. happy. Um, when, when uh, generally what happens is Russell and I collectively pick these guests, and I'm looking and saying, American romance guru. Now, what did he say that made me pick him? Because he has all these, you know, wonderful things to say if you're a newlywed and how we're going to live our life and blah, blah, blah. But he also has things to say about when you're on your way out of the relationship and how to deal with it and strategy. So, Liam, are you there? I am, and thank you very much, Dr. Veronica and Russell, for having me on your program. Well, thank you, Leon. Now, you know, look, I like to try to keep things upbeat, and I like to keep yeah, a yeah, sense yeah. of humor. <laughs> As you can see, I tell my stories. I tell background. Right. Um, and what I want to know, you're America's romance guru. And so you why talk am I talking about, about divorce, right? Yeah. So <laughs> tell me, I, I really do think before – I think that it would behoove people to actually talk about what could happen at the end in the beginning of a relationship. It's just like, you know, people don't talk about money. 
Right. And I think right. they should talk about money in the beginning and meet oh, people yeah. don't talk about money. Oh, yeah. What about talking about the end? Tell us what you have to say about this topic. Well, you know, the, the components for a healthy divorce are pretty much the same as the components for a healthy marriage. And what that means is a, uh, a healthy marriage, you need trust, you need, you need communication, you need respect. Now, here's the thing. When, when you get a divorce, you're, you're not usually, during the divorce, you're not going through the trust and communication and respect on the, on the, best, you know, on the best level. But there comes to a point where you need to find a healthy exit from that negativity. And when you do, if you, can, if you held on to the trust and communication and respect, you can still have a healthy relationship with your partner. It doesn't have to be a love relationship. It doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. You see what I'm saying? But now, why why is this so difficult? Because you know we all see people who've gotten divorced, and I don't know. I'd say eighty percent of them just aren't so happy with how it went down. Right. Right. Why do you? Why you? Now think about this. This is somebody you married, somebody you had children with, somebody you thought was the know-all, end-all, be-all. I'm going to be with you forevermore. And you talked about trust, communication, and respect. Presumably, you had that walking in. Why is it so hard walking out? What happens is you get into this relationship with this person, and you have you've created this level of relationship called marriage or whatever it is, a high level of romantic relationship. When that falls, you very often, not everyone, but very often, there's nothing else below that. You haven't built any other support or foundation, a friendship, uh, some other kind of level. So when you see that, that that marriage is falling apart, you see the relationship is gone. There's nothing else. And so if that one area that you focused on, you put all your eggs in one basket, if that one basket is falling apart, that, it's that you're mad at that person, you're angry at that person, you can't hold on to anything else. That's where the trouble comes in with couples after a relationship, after a marriage. So you're saying is you think that this happens because couples don't build a friendship underneath the romance? So, well, even if and that's very that very well may be the case, but even if even when they do, very often what happens is when when you go just in life in general, when when good things happen, we're happy about it. But if we have ten good things in a day and one bad thing, what's the thing we think about when we go to bed at night? It's it's a negative thing. Very often we think of the negative. Negative very often will outweigh the positive in our lives. So what we do is we need to figure out a way to after this relationship is over, we go through the anger, we go through the, the hurt, we go through the pain, but then we have to go we have to move on and find a healthy a healthy exit from this and say, Okay, this person hurt me. This person made me feel bad. I'm at this point where I don't want to be in my life because of this person. But what were the traits that attracted me to, attracted me to this person? What were the things that I initially liked about this person? Go back and find those things. Those are the things that we often will forget. We'll push away. We will we'll put them out of our, our our memory. I don't remember. I don't know why I liked this person. Those things are still there. <laughs> Yeah. Are you laughing because you you can you understand what I'm talking about? No, no, You've been I there. I don't know why I ever liked this person. I, I think what happens for a lot of people is the traits that make you say I can't stay were always there, and then all of a sudden it gets to that critical point where you say I just can't deal with this anymore. Um, now we're going to hear also from our other guests if if that's true and what to do about that. But you're saying. 
focus on the positive aspects of the person. Now, I'll just tell you, it's pretty hard to do that when um, the the person you've been married to for 20-something years has a woman standing in your kitchen um, before you even have the divorce paper signed. Yeah, and, and, I, and, and I, there's no way... Which was the case way. in my situation. Right. And so focusing on what I liked when the other woman was standing in the house that I built, okay, I just wasn't kind of focusing on, um, you know, how good I was feeling about him when we met at 18. You you can't expect to get to that level. And this is when I decided I had to completely change my life. If there were a gun there, there would have been two dead people. There Mm -hmm. just would have been, okay? Um, And I admit that, and then I realized, you know what? I'm I'm really out of here, <laughs> okay? Right, because right. Because right. I, I have murderous rage for you, dis- so much disrespecting me to do this to me, okay? So when you talk about trust, communication, and respect, I think one of the issues is that when people are on the way out of relationship, because I did something that's hurtful for you, then you feel like you can do anything that's hurtful to me because it's fair game, and I think that that's where we we don't we don't try to. We we up the ante as opposed to bringing things down. Now, so Leon, that all sounds great. Um, Don't know if you've been through a divorce, but when you hit the ground running, see, I like to challenge everybody. You know, you hit the ground running and you're standing there with these things happening. You couldn't have told me, you couldn't have convinced me that me, Dr. Veronica, would have been standing in my kitchen slapping my former husband as many times as I can and slapping the woman too, and that's what I did, okay? And I felt it was the worst day of my life because I knew if there were a knife or a gun, I would have killed them both, all right? So when you're talking about, oh, focus on trust, communication, and respect, I never knew such a level of rage that I had that day. And and you have to understand, Dr. Veronica, uh, I am not advocating that. Uh, that that's going to happen overnight? Absolutely not. You got to go through your anger, your frustration. Your, there's a lot of steps you got to go through until you can get to the other side. So um, you you can't. I mean, I can't imagine going through a divorce and being in the midst of all that emotion, and then just saying, "I can accept this person. I can trust this person. I'm okay with this person." No, I'm not saying that at all. You have to go through that pain. You have to. But what I'm talking about is when you get to the other side, when you get to the other end. And some people that takes two years. But when you get to the other end, there is a place where you go, I can go ahead and ignore this person, I can be angry with this person, or I can find the positive in this person that was there once before. And, and, and again, the day you're there and you're angry with, that, with your husband and you're angry with the, you know, the person he's with, I, I, I'm not asking you to forgive at that moment. In no way am I asking you to forgive or trust or be happy with them. What I'm trying to say is that you're not going to get there that, that, that day. You're not going to get there sure. that day. Sure. Well, I thank you for your words, Leon, and I want to bring on a gentleman who is a mediator, okay? Now, having said that, here we go. Mediation sounds like utopia, except when you're married to a man whose favorite books are the Bible and on the other side the art of war and negotiates for a living, would you really get a mediator? Let me hear about this mediation. So, Russell, who do we have next? We have with us a man calling from Minnesota, I believe, Jeff Johnson. You're on Wellness in the Real World. Hi, welcome. (laughs) Hi, 
Dr. Veronica. How are you, Jeff? Thank you for being on. I, I kind of, I'm like setting you up there, but Russell was telling me about people skipping in hand in hand into mediation. Um, and yep, we, act, we about, actually, <laughs> you actually have that? We we actually there's when we, when Russell and I were talking there's a spectrum that I deal with and couples that come in holding hands and then others that have orders for protection and they need to be in two separate rooms because Whoa. they can't see each other. Okay, all right. So you do have the spectrum of people now. Mediation is something that I had heard about. Theoretically, sounded fabulous, but I felt like. If I don't have the heaviest lawyer I can get, I'm going to get major league screwed, okay? Now, this is me, Dr. Veronica. I can read the Art of War too, and play the Art of War too. but I felt like if I don't have the biggest lawyer, mediation is just not going to work. Um, one yeah. reason I thought, and a lot of people think, especially women think, that mediation is not going to work because what makes that person on the other side be upfront, honest about everything that's going on, the assets and all that type of stuff. So tell me legally what's in place to make sure that both partners get treated, quote, unquote, fairly in mediation. Well, whether you're doing a litigated divorce and you have lawyered up on both sides or if you're doing mediation, the ultimately it's going to be signed off on, a, on by a judge. And so the traditional approach has always been I need to have the biggest – meanest lawyer on my side and what happens is the other person needs to counter it with a lawyer on their side and one of the first things they tell you is don't communicate to each other you talk to me i'll talk to their lawyer they'll talk to them and we'll play this game so you get involved in this circle of not communicating back and forth when after a lot of billable hours the attorneys go away you're you've really been taught not to communicate with each other the difference then with mediation is um, instead of a positional-based bargaining for each of the attorneys, a mediator is very skilled on the laws, and then the application of the laws, we work, work very close with attorneys and judges to make sure that we start actually in the middle and what is going to be fair and equitable from that standpoint. And then we, as a, an attorney, can only work with one party or the other can only be an advocate of one, a mediator, we, I get to work with both parties, and they get to hear from each other around all of the, we collect all the assets, make the decisions, and, it's, and at the end, we have an attorney draw up their uh, agreement that they have and then submit it to the court on their behalf. Okay. Well, now, Jeff, Jeff ahead, can Russ. I ask you a question? W would it be fair to say that a uh, unlike an attorney, a mediator has an element of um, of therapist in him or her, where you Oftentimes. negotiate. It, yeah, you know what, uh -huh. what? What I tell couples is, what I do is not therapy, but what we do together is therapeutic, because we'll uh -huh. we'll look on all three levels of what is the legal part of divorce, what's the logistical part of divorce, and what's the emotional part of divorce. And we're dealing in all three of those tracks as we go through and help them kind of plan for their future. We're less concerned about what happened in the past, but what's happening currently today in the present, and how do we build two independent futures, a plan for each of them as they go forward? Now, let me, let me just ask... Um, how two questions one how do people find mediators 
and how do we get people more comfortable with this process? Because it seems That's to me, I, I don't know if we have any attorneys on the line, but it seems to me the way attorneys work, let me just say that what happened with me and my former husband is we sat down and said, you know what, if we don't sit here and agree, the attorneys are going to make a really a lot of money. And so rather than the attorneys making a lot of money, we're going to get to keep more if we sit and agree. Okay. And so we sat down, we drew up what, what agreement. I let him write and offer what he wanted to, and then guess what I did? I walked in and said, I'm just signing on the line, it's good enough. My attorney made me sign a document that said I was going against my own interests. Like in, in medicine, we call it against medical advice. I went against lawyerly advice, just signed it to get it over with and done. Um, so we sat down and said, here's what we're going to do. Um, and, but that's, that's hard for a lot of people to do. So what, how do we get more people into mediation? Because it doesn't seem like lawyers would want this because, Lawyers make thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars when I'm trying to kill him, okay, and he's trying to kill me. So how do we get people to mediate? Yeah, actually, there are some great attorneys that are mediator-friendly out there that bring a lot of cases to me because oftentimes they're, they want to get um, these cases settled because they know that, that the court system is not designed for families or divorce. It's not set up that way. It's an adversarial system. Those attorneys that have that more of a collaborative mindset actually bring their cases to me where, uh, you know, people are still in the mindset of, boy, that, that person's their attorney, their, their advocate. A mediator is that person that's right in the middle. I'm a neutral, impartial person. I could say the same thing that either the husband said or the wife said, but since it's not coming from one of them, it carries a lot more weight. So the, the question is, we've got to get out in front of, instead of using mediation as an alternative dispute resolution, it needs to be the preferred. So we need to, to make a mind shift that says, instead of going to court first, you need to try, you know, from mediation to conciliation to negotiation before you go into the, uh, the lawyer up and away you go. Is there any, are there any states that have that? at this point? Yeah, Florida does right now. They, a, a lot of the states have what's called ADR, which is uh, Alternative Dispute Resolution. Um, Florida, or excuse me, not Florida, um, another, they don't have it, but Australia has, they've switched that, and they're calling it PDR now, which is Preferred Dispute Resolution, where they have mediation as the preferred, the court system is the alternate alternative to mediation. So they've actually been able to cut their um, their court cases down by, you know, channeling things into mediation to try to get it settled out of court. That's what I would wish the uh, the United States would, would look at doing as well, to have that as the preferred method. Do you think that with, given that all the legislators practically are lawyers, anything like that would happen? If you have the right group of, of people and the right lobbying group, you could, but it is an uphill battle. Um, it's, but with the courts so overworked right now, we almost need more of the, the, a push from the judicial bench, the judges, to push that through to be able to make that happen. Hmm. Interesting. So I want to say Jeff Johnson, his, his website is johnson-mediation.com. And he's a family, the family mediation, parenting consulting, 
parenting time, expediting. Um, and so you provide lots of services to help families move on without killing each other, okay? Now, yeah, wait, let me absolutely. just, before I go on, I'm just going to jump back to our last guest, Leon Scott Baxter. People, if you want to, like, keep everything together, he has this great website, couplescommittedtolove.com. Couples Committed to Love, that's Leon Scott Baxter, has all these great things to do to try to have a wonderful relationship so that we don't have to get to the Jeff Johnsons of the world. So um, I want to thank you, Jeff, for giving us some insight about mediation. And I, I would love to see that that's the way we go first in everything in the legal system. Um, yeah. I know in, in medicine there's a movement of um, agreements not to sue, and it doesn't mean that if something happens wrong you have no legal rights. It means that what they're going to do is sit down and, and arbitrate before they go to lawyers and courts to try to come out with a workable solution so it's not so expensive. Uh, because the legal system really has just gotten out of hand, and divorce is one of the areas where, like I said, Lawyers are making thousands and, and creating strife among families. I mean, the lawyers, the more I fight and the worse I feel, the more money my lawyer's making. And that's not good for me. It's not good for my former spouse, and it's not good for the kids either. So we need a new way. So, Jeff Johnson, I thank you for enlightening us about mediation. Let me just tell everybody that we're on Wellness for the Real World with Dr. Veronica. And... This is another show that we extended the time on because I looked and said, there's no way we're going to be able to get through this in an hour, and I think people are going to have important things to say because divorce is something that is just so common. A lot of people have been through it, and we all want to figure out how do we move on better instead of bitter, okay? And so this is what we're focusing on, strategies for being able to move on, let go of the anger, and try to make sure that the people on either side, the, the, the former spouses, end up good, and the kids end up good, too. So, Russell, who else do we have? Well, we have another person. Jeff, are you still there? I have one more question for you, if you don't mind. Go ahead, Jeff. I mean, Russell. Yep, I'm still here. I just, um, I mean, I've had a concept of mediation uh, in my mind that I think it's a great thing, but I think it takes uh, the unusual couple um, who are um, looking for a way to agree rather than disagree, who would choose to go into mediation. Um, and it's also seemed to me like like uh, it could also, you know, a mediation situation, it, it could just be blown out of the water in a second when somebody goes, you know, what do you mean you think you deserve the house? And then suddenly it's lawyers, <laughs> you know? Um, that happens that... all. That happens all the time. I've had credit cards thrown at me, saying <laughs> we're done. And then it is the skilled mediator to be able to calm the situation back down again, get them to talk about reasons on why. Tell me why that you think you need to um, have the house, and getting them back to realize what is possible and throwing out possibilities. What legally rights? What legal rights people have? and really be able to negotiate, because the skill of it is in the art of the conversation, and be able to facilitate that conversation, calm people down, and get to the facts. Wow. Wonderful. Well, maybe we should have you in the Mideast. 
<laughs> you see, you seem like if anybody can do it, you seem like you have the personality. No, well, for that. The, see, the problem becomes, um, you know, when you start believing that God gave you something and that God said this and that. I mean, who's going to argue with what God said, even though everybody's hearing something different from God? So that's not going to work. Absolutely, and I, I'm, I'm, and I'm a total believer that. There, there's a saying that I go by, which is life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you handle it. And so exactly. if divorce is, is, is happening to you, you know, how are you going to be as a person and how are you going to handle it? You know, what do you want to be known as is going through it? So we talk a lot about, um, you know, how you need to be as a person going through it and what is your legacy and what do your kids want? How do you want your you to be viewed in your kids' eyes as you're going through it? <laughs> I don't think many people think Great. about that in the heat of the moment. No, but they don't. <laughs> I I thank you, Jeff, so much. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, next on Wellness for the Real World, we have um, an interesting lady whose name is Pat Boobash. And, Pat, I believe you are the author of a book called Successful Second Marriages. Welcome yes, to I Wellness am. for the Real World. Oh, thank you so much. I, I'm so excited. And what interesting, interesting comments have I been listening to. I'm taking notes as I listen. And I would like to send Jeff that book because half of those people in his office will uh, remarry. And so, mm-hmm. you know, maybe some of the stories in this book would be helpful to them as they enter that remarriage again. But, Wow. Some interesting information I've been listening to. Yes. Now, Pat, you, I believe, help people move on in relationships and also children, offspring, transition when there's a new romance, which there always is a new romance. Okay. Eventually. Eventually. I mean, some people are so yuck about it, they just they yeah. don't, don't want to do it again. Right. Um, but most right. people want to go on, and even if they're not going to marry, there's going to be another romantic partner in the situation. Exactly. So give exactly. me some ideas. Successful second marriages, children could just blow the marriage out of the oh. water, a second marriage. Oh, yeah. But on the other oh, yeah. hand, I have friends who they were – children of divorce and went into families where basically they were um, pushed aside and felt that they didn't have a voice and a place because the, the, the parent decided that the new husband or wife was over the children. And there was a lot of bitterness and resentment because of that. Right. right. How do we prevent these type of things? Well, you know, I I go back. I'm going uh, back to Leon's comments and what you said to him. You know, well, how how could you get to that point of the trust, the communication, and the um, respect? You know, when you're going through something and and you're so angry at the moment and so hurt. And I think this is what parents don't realize when they find this new person after they have been divorced. And they're, you know, so in love and they're, uh, you know, this is my soulmate, this is wonderful. And before that, they need to assess a little bit where their children are in terms of bringing someone else into their lives. I, I always found it interesting 
when parents would come into my office, my, my role has been as an educator for over 30 years. Most of that time was spent as a school counselor. And I would have parents come in, and, and they would be so distraught, lamenting that they found the love of their life, the soulmate, you know, the perfect person. And their children or child was just absolutely tearing up Jack in the house because they <laughs> didn't care, you know. And, and you know, after they finish, you know, weeping and wailing about, you know, what am I going to do? This is, you know, I, I want this person in my life and these children are just not coming along. And, you know, I say, but you chose this person. Your children didn't. And they have a mom and dad that you divorced, you know. So this is the love of your life, but it's not the love of their life. And so you need to think about that before you even introduce someone that you are so taken with. I've had a number of people tell me that once divorced, before they even dated, they or, or when they did start dating, they did not bring this person into their children's lives until they felt that this was a serious relationship because it was unfair to have people coming in and out of this child or children's lives when it, they had already experienced one loss when their parents divorced. So you're asking for strategies, and and I think the first thing is before parents get into this wonderful new relationship that is the love of their life, finally, that they think about, this is me, but my children, they need, they're on a different page here. And so you need to look at it from that standpoint and look at their view of this before you get so um, upset because they're not following along. Yes. Yes, I, I agree with that, and you listened and heard my personal familial situation. Exactly. And um, based on that, I said, okay, whatever happens. Now, first of all, I'm newly divorced. and running right into a marriage relationship just wasn't going to happen on my side. I felt, you know, I need to sit and mm-hmm. think and figure out what I want. So I wasn't right. in the mindset for that. But my strategy has been up until this point and I haven't been I've been divorced for a little over 18 months now not a long time is You're a newbie I'm a newbie <laughs> but my 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 thing is a newbie looking that their father immediately married somebody else and the right. kids were not happy at all no. even though no. he thinks that they should be um right. was that okay I need to be the person that doesn't do anything drastic or radical and right. what I did at the time that this was going on is said, look, I know this has happened. I want to first let you know that I'm not seeing anybody, which I right. wasn't. And then I said, the time is going to come when this is going to happen. How do you want to know? How do you feel about it? When do you want to know? But still right. I knew until the person was going to be hanging with me like really a lot, I right. wasn't going to even let them know. Now, my sons know that I, I go out. They don't necessarily know who I'm going out with right. or anything like that. And nobody, they haven't seen anybody. Um, right. And I just got to the point now where I've mentioned, oh, 
I am I'm dating someone. Okay. Right. I just I, right. I introduced the idea. Right. Okay. So I mean, I feel like it should be. This is this is. I did it based on what I would want, and let me tell you why. Because when I grew up, my parents got divorced, and my father married my mother's best friend. Oh, that, okay? that is the worst scenario. Well, let me just tell you what. Now we were we were grown when this happened, but we never dealt with her at all. Me and my sister never ever. Right. The rules were: if Dad wants to see us, you see us without her. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and right. a lot of parents, and I, and I love my father more now because he listened to our wishes. And so exactly. I realize now when my children didn't have a choice with their father, it's important for me to respect what their wishes are and to ask each of them what would you like, realizing right. that this, is, this man is not their father, and it would right. be nice if we could have a kumbaya Brady Bunch thing going right. on, but right. that may not be the case. And well, I think that know, they may be more willing to accept knowing that I'm not pushing anybody on them. Exactly. And, you know, I would always suggest, too, explain to your children, hey, you like to be with your friends. I like to be with adult friends. You know, I need that just like you do with your friends. And, you know, they can pretty well understand that because, especially teenagers, that's, you know, that's who they want to be with. They're not concerned about the family thing. And teenagers have the... Young adults have the worst time with this anyway because they want to get into their own stuff and their own lives, and they don't want to be bothered with what's going on with their parents. They want their parents to be, you know, in place and being like old folks. That's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, um, Pat Pat and Veronica, can I ask you both a question? You're almost touching on it now, but I just wonder, um, and God knows I'm no authority. I have no children um, I, I happen to be gay, so I've never been through a legal divorce, although I've had, you know, like nine-year relationships with, you know, common property that had to be broken right. up, et cetera. But, but I just wonder, um, is, is it not possible um, after the divorce, when you're in a household with your children, um, just to have more friends around, just to have um, uh, more people around and maybe – Woman friends, it may be man friends once in a while. I mean, not the same person all the time, um, and certainly not somebody that you're being all cuddly and romantic with in front of them, but but just to have, just uh, so that, as you say, so the kids have the idea that mom, you know, has a life too. And uh, it's maybe a more social household. And um, skip the talk of, you know, skip the big talk of, okay, now mommy has been seeing someone that right. may never amount to any, you know, skip all the drama, but just, you know, right. try to show them that you're having a friendly, happy life. Right. What do you think about that? Is that I, fantasy? I, 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 I just can't see how that would work. Just knowing the relationship between mother and sons. I don't think that would work in my particular situation just to be having random men mm-hmm. <laughs> who they, right. well, they are my friends. So they should I be just, men that you know, Veronica, not random men. Okay, but that's <laughs> not random. But, but, 
But to me, I know them. To my sons, they're random. And you have to realize, let me let me throw another mix in here. My sons are going to boarding school, so they're not around every day. So they're not seeing Friday night, date night, even though I'll have Friday night, date night every night. They're not seeing this. So when they are home, to introduce just somebody random, and, you know, think about that. If they're home once a month or once every three months or something like that, they're not seeing yeah. it all. And to throw somebody new in the mix, I just thought wasn't the best way to do it. Now go, Pat, well, tell us what you think. But then what they are seeing is. of you, what they are seeing of you, then, is is chaste, always, always solitary mom who sits in crochets for her entertainment or now, something. Now, Russell, do you really think Well... No. Well, <laughs> I, ahead, I, are you saying if they come home and, and you have a date and this person picks you up, is this what you are are giving as an example? I don't, even have people come pick, I don't even have people come pick me up personally. I mm. will go out and meet people because I just, I personally have felt that because of the way the situation went down, I need to be respectful of their feelings and understand yeah. that anyway, my sons are not going to want to see their mother with anybody. And well, so I just felt that it was better to just keep it away and and then introduce the idea before somebody walks in. And when somebody walks right. in, it's going to be somebody that I've been tight with a little bit because it's not going to be somebody that's just going to disappear because I don't also want them to think that I'm, you know, just being right. a call girl either. Right. Well, I think it goes back to the comments that I've had from a number of people who said they didn't bring someone around until they felt like it was someone that that they were pretty serious about, not maybe getting married, but that they wanted to see for a while and see where it went, and they just didn't feel like it was fair to their children. I I appreciate that, and I certainly can understand, and, and I think it's a, a very valid point. I do think that, like Russell says, I don't think you need all these random men coming in and out, but I I do think that it might be a good thing. Maybe in a um, social grouping, you you have a dinner party, and, you know, you have a gentleman come in, and the children see that. I do think they need to see that, yes, you are an adult, and that you are going to, you know, be dating men. But I don't think it has to be this constant barrage of people and seeing you go out on dates. Sure. Did that answer it? Good good enough for me. Yeah. So, now, we have some people with alternative views, of course. This is Wellness for the Real World. You know we're going to always have people with different views on the show. And so I know we have another guest who feels like it ain't any of the kids' business. Too bad. You're the adult. Do whatever you want to do. Russell? Go ahead. With with us now, uh, Jamie Lee. Welcome to Wellness for the Real World. Are you there, Jamie? Um, I'm here. Thank you for Hi. having me. Now, now Jamie, I, I read your query, and that sounded like the answer to me. You're an adult. Do whatever you want to do. The kids, it's none of their business. <laughs> That's how you that, I think, um, make uh, a real no, story. I think but go ahead. Tell I us think your that's... perspective on this. Okay. So here's here's my perspective, and, and as you saw in my query, I come from a place of both experience and practice. Um, so the, it's much more intricate than that. Everybody in the family has a certain place to hold. And so when you marry somebody and you have children, you form a system. 
when you divorce and you go on, you form a second system. And so the my experience with this is kind of like the map of relationship. And if you're, let's say you're with a new partner and suddenly you, you get into trouble with your kids or whatever, you will choose your children over your new partner. Is that right? If you were given well, an alternative to me or my kids. I have a really good friend who he his 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 father chose the new wife over to his kids. Yeah, it's uh, it, I mean it shows up in all different forms. But let me finish my thing because I don't sure. think you read it quite right. Okay, go ahead. I'm I'm listening. So, I'm always willing to be corrected. So, okay, so if you think of it uh, in a generational way, like water flowing down a hill, the parent is always the parent to the child. Nothing is going to reverse that. So if you're a parent, your child is your child forever. And the children do better when the parent acts like a parent. You know, we see a lot of, um, like I see a lot of parents seeking permission from their children, which puts the child out of place, out of order. And suddenly they get very confused because now they don't know where they where they stand. And so when in my query when I said a parent's business is a parent's business and you shouldn't involve the children in that, that's a thing about keeping place. Okay, so um, this is exactly what my former husband did. You know dad's going to do these things. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And when you go when when he when my son went down to college, he thought that she should get a Morehouse mom shirt too. Uh huh. They weren't having it. <laughs> they felt completely uh-huh. disrespected and like they were being treated like eight year olds because how dare you tell us that we have to accept and like this person? Well, let me give you a story from my own um, experience too, because I had a twelve year marriage with three kids and divorced and got remarried. And one of the, and when I was learning this orders of the family thing early on in you know in my marriage, um, I asked one of my teachers, "What should I do?" My you know, I married this guy, you know, and now I'm divorced, and now I have these three kids, and what do we do? And and he said to me, "You should always honor the presence of the father in the son, and then you won't split his soul." And I really kind of took that to heart that I had in subtle ways been bad-mouthing my ex and, you know, sort of creating a pressure there to uh, uh, side with me, I guess you would call it. And as soon as I stopped doing that, that all changed. And as soon as I stopped, like even with my three children, and I said, you know, my new husband, Milt, he's just my partner. He's not your dad. He's never going to be your dad. You have a dad. Everything in the house relaxed. And that was the strategy for me, was to honor the presence of the father in the children or wife, whichever, whoever's splitting up. And then you don't tear the child's heart in two. I love my mom. I love my dad. What am I supposed to do? I think that that, that sounds very different than whatever I do is not the business of the child. Because when you're saying, 
your father is your father, and I'm never going to take that or try to take that away from you. This is a new person, and a new person acts accordingly and doesn't try to take the role of the father or anything like that. That's different. Right. That's very different than right. trying to say you should buy her a Morehouse mom shirt, <laughs> okay? Yeah, no, I, you said that, I didn't. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just, I, I'm, I'm using my, I use my life as an illustrative point because, right, right. you know, I just want to say, and now let me just say, you know, you're, you're hearing this and you're saying, oh, my God, what bad form. I believe my former husband is a fabulous father, okay? He has been, most of our years were, of marriage were very good, um, and I believe that he really cares about his son, except that the way he has moved on in his life has been extremely challenging for them. And it was because right. of the, I'm doing what I'm going to do and have to do, and you just have to accept it. Um, and mm-hmm. yes and no, <laughs> I mean, when, when the kids decided that they wanted to come live more with mom than with dad, I think that was kind of like saying, no, we don't have to accept this. Now, you know, my younger yeah. son doesn't have as much choice, but the older son, you know, it's Christmas, you make us go over and, okay, come over, friend, and pick me up because I'm not staying here with this mess, all right? I just, I don't choose to be around these people. I'm not going to stay here. So I think that one thing I want to say is that, yes, it is the business of the parent, but I think the parent needs to make sure that they include the wishes of the children, realizing that they're not going to at first be all lovey-dovey with whoever the new person is. I think if they feel like they have choices, if they get introduced where this is not your father but this is my friend and he's going to be here and it makes mom happy and we're going to try to make it so that we're all happy and he's going to be your friend too, not your parent, then I think you can have harmony in the situation. So I thank you, Jamie, for for clarifying that. I was just like, what do you mean it's just only a (laughs) I do want to say one more thing about it, though, because I do think that um, that there is an issue in, in American families of losing place. Okay. And it gets particularly confusing when our place is changing from one system to the next. So it's a treacherous time, in a way. But the, the thing that I think is really important, and if it wasn't clear in my query, I'd really like to make it clear, because, uh, you know, like with my parents, I will always be their child at a singular place. So if I try to, I'm like a salmon swimming upriver, I try to take over what's going on with them, I lose my place as a child. And the same mm-hmm. happens for me as a parent to my children or grandchildren. And so there is a generational placement of of parts of the family. And well, you so know, guys, more careful. Yes. Can I make an analogy? I hope uh I hope uh this uh doesn't offend anybody, but I'm going to make an analogy. Um with uh with my big brother and his wife, and he's always been a, a dog person. There are always multiple dogs in his house. Um he has mm-hmm. three at the moment. I went to visit him not too long ago with my dog. Um, I arrived, and his and the boss of his dogs, the the toughest of the three, basically threw a fit and snarled and attacked, and it was a big situation and whatsoever. <laughs> and and what my brother did is he took his dog, 
and he took him off, and as he termed it, he gave him a whooping. Um, I don't think it was a physical whooping, but it was certainly, you know, a strong talk. And he just, he made it clear to the dog, you know, look, you do not run this house. This dog is welcome here. You do not have to like him, but you are going to be nice and you're going to get along, period. Right. You know, and established just, um, uh, you know, as you would say, a hierarchy, a generational or a or a species-related hierarchy in this situation, and just said, exactly. you know, look, I love you, I care how you feel, but, you know, your whim is not what runs this place. Right. You know? So and, and, I, I and hear the, you, the Jack. I'm I like... sorry, Barbara. No, that's okay. <laughs> the, thing that, the thing that I like about that way of looking at it or that feels uh, really comfortable to me is that um, you everybody keeps their place. Yeah. And so yeah. what I've noticed, and I've worked for the last 30 years myself with families, when everyone is in their place, things go better. And also that um, the children, and this is, this is true for me, you know, in my experience with teenagers or little ones, when when the place is held... Um, they don't get as anxious, they don't get as rebellious, they don't get as mm-hmm. scared, you know. Things mm-hmm. are are held in a good way, and then everybody's, um, it all works better. I think the placeholding is nice, and I think it's a good idea. Um, and I think that, yeah, there is, you know, the relationship between parent and child. But... Um, I think that it might be different when you're dealing with adult children or, or very close to that. And I, I see in that looking on the other side of things in my life, that authoritarian attitude has sort of gotten the attitude of, okay, this, this is fine. You can make us deal with it. Yeah, but can't, we, 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 we cannot wait. We can't wait until we don't have to listen to anything you have to say. And so I think the placeholder is nice, but I think there may be a way to say, okay, look, but there needs to be a a gentler way because by being authoritarian and saying look, I think in a lot of children that's breeding resentment and causing strife in the relationship. Um, So I, I hear what you're saying. I'm just saying I believe that we need to respect people um, as as individuals and that they're allowed to make a choice on who they like and who they don't like. I don't think that anybody should be rude to anybody, but guess what? Like I said, when my father did what he did, it was I wasn't dealing with the woman. I never have dealt with the woman. It's fine I deal with my father, but I got it was going to be on my terms, right, because uh-huh. I'm an adult too, and even though I'm a, your child, I'm an adult too and I have feelings, and I just don't like it. And so I feel that children now when you're young and you're under 18 you can't say that but when my son say i'm getting a scholarship so i don't have to listen to anything that dad says <laughs> that to me doesn't uh-huh. sound like the best of all ways to deal with it because i think it's causing problems in the relationships now do i believe that over time it's going to resolve yeah it will but it took me 25 years to start talking to my father again in 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 and having a really good relationship because I felt that he had been so disrespectful in that oh by the way I forgot to tell you that my father also didn't tell us that he was getting married and we found out by accident okay so when things like that happen you just feel like what is this you don't 
I don't even get I don't even get the respect of getting told and I'm your child, I'm your offspring, I have part of your DNA and this is how I get treated. So I just think that's nice to be authoritarian and say this is your place, you're the child and this is how it's gonna be. It's just that let me just tell you this is how I felt about it. I ain't dealing with the new person. I ain't never dealing with the new person, and this is the way it's going to be, too. And a lot of kids feel like that, especially older kids and adult kids. So I want to thank Jamie for she has her perspective. A lot of people may see it that way. I think you have to look at the personality of you and your child to decide what the right answer is. But, Russell, who are we got next? Veronica, our next guest is a gentleman named Bill McLeod. Bill, I, I believe, is a radio host, and he's also written a book called Kicking Butt as a Single Parent. Bill, yeah, welcome like to that. Wellness for the Real World. Are you there? No, I'm here, Russell. Thanks. And Dr. Veronica, thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Bill. Now, what do you, we've, been, we've been talking a lot about kids, new relationships, and you have Kicking right. Butt as a Single Parent. Um, what is your experience in this area? I'm assuming that you are a single parent, yes? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> okay. I, uh, yeah, Dr. Veronica, I, what I did is I became a full-time single dad when my children were seven and nine. That was about 2003. And it happened because of my uh, wife at the time's addiction to alcohol. Uh, that led to interventions, which eventually led to separations and eventually a divorce. And because of her her addiction, I became a full-time single dad. Then in 2007, she passed away from that. So I've been raising my kids 24-7 for the last seven years through the seven, nine-year-old stages up to the 14- and 16-year-old stages right now. And I'm here to tell you, every stage, the the degree of difficulty increases with every stage you go through. Yeah. Now, you you have a little bit of a different situation, though, because... And, you know, I know these things are common. You have a former spouse that had a substance abuse problem. So I think the rules change at that point in time because you have someone who may not be fit to be around the kids. Is that the situation or was that the no, situation? No, that's true. That, that, that is true. There is, uh, you know, we're talking about kids. We're talking about how they get through divorce. And, and my kids went through divorce. Now, their mother may not have been with them all the time, but she was with them when it was healthy and safe to be so. Sure. Um, and I think the loss of a parent, whether it be through a death or even whether it be through a divorce, the loss of a family unit is going to affect every child differently. I you know, I tell people all the time, I'm not a doctor, a therapist, a counselor like your previous guest. I'm a full-time single dad, and I kind of got my degree through the School of Hard Knocks. I learned as I go through this process, and I truly believe, truly in my heart, that if you mentally focus on it, you think about what is best for yourself first, what is best for your children, you'll succeed at parenting, you'll succeed at explaining your children about other people in your life and what divorce and being separated is all about. Okay, so now I want to ask you, as a, as a single parent and going through this type of thing, I don't know if you have romantic involvement or things like that, tell me about something that you did that you felt, oh, my gosh, this was a major mistake, not in marrying your former spouse or anything, but... As a single parent, ooh, I did that, and that maybe wasn't the best thing. And then what you did to correct that. Yeah, uh, what I learned very on is, I mean, I had dates uh, after I got divorced. Never never really shared that with my children. I mean, the last thing I want to do is go on a date, two or three dates, and then be sharing this with my kids, and the person would be gone a week later. 
Um, and so eventually I finally did introduce my kids to somebody who I who was special to me. Um, but in doing so, I learned a very good lesson. My children are not happy about it. I mean, they look at this as this person's going to try to take my dad away from me. And what I did wrong, to answer your question, is I probably wasn't totally truthful with them. You know, I, I kind of tiptoed around the dating scene a little bit. I tiptoed around my feelings. And in reality, I should have really sat down back then and said to the kids, you know what, Dad wants to be happy. He deserves to be happy. I'm still here for you. You know, we'll always will love you, and you're coming first in my life, but I need to have a life as well. And kids are so perceptive. I mean, <laughs> you know, kids do not forget a thing. There's an old saying that each and every day we're making deposits in the memory banks of our children through our actions and through our words. And sometimes I think we're afraid to be honest with our kids about what we're really feeling and thinking for fear they can't handle it. And it's just the opposite is true. They're so smart. Hmm. And so you said that you tiptoed around it. What did what did you te- what did you say to the kids that you said you tiptoed um, around it? Yeah, what I did is they knew I dated somebody, but I don't think they really when I mean when I really sit down with the kids and said this person is very close with me. I'm very I, you know I'm falling in love with this person. No, I wouldn't. Um, when I put my children first. Yes, and I understand putting your children first. I think everybody should. They are our children, as one of your previous guests said, regardless. But with that said, is that you also have to have your own free time to find your own peace and balance in this single parenting world. Through divorce, you know, you have to let go of your anger. And you need the free time. You need to be happy again. And I don't think I always was honest with my children, I sent help, and I will tell you that, you know, <laughs> learned that lesson very quickly, in that, um, you know, if I'm going to go do something with somebody and they mean something, I'm going to let my kids know about it. I, I will tell you the second time around, maybe it's like a second marriage, my kids seem to accept it totally different now. So are, are you remarried? No, I am not. I'm still single. Okay. My, da- my daughter, no, uh, Russell, my daughter says I have commitment phobia, commitment issues. I say I have time management issues. Bill, I have a question for you. Uh, I have a question for you from our chat room. You say, you know, you're you're not uh, a therapist, you're not a counselor, you're a full-time single parent. Um, I'm wondering how how how's the money in that? How are your health benefits? Do you think I are there any openings? (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, I say. As I go through this whole process, what, what, the way I began, I started a website called SingleParentsTown.com, and it gets approximately 90,000 hits a month. And we have bloggers on there. It's a phenomenal website. It's had great success. But the reason I started the website in the beginning is because when I first became the full-time single dad, I went to the Internet and said, okay, who's got the blueprint for me? Dr. Veronica, when things happen, you right. okay, where am I going to open up my blueprint? And somebody showed me what to do, and every website I found told me the same thing. Get therapy. Feel sorry for yourself. Your kids are going to go to jail. They're going to do drugs. They're going to get pregnant. Young kids are single parents. Whoa, whoa. It doesn't have to be that way. You know, we may have felt like we've gotten our butt kicked, but it's time to turn the paradigm around and start kicking butt in our own lives. I love it. it, Being a parent, here's the greatest thing about being a single parent. You are about to go on a journey that you have no idea may be the most amazing, greatest experience of your life. I have people email me all the time and say, I'm angry about my past relationship. I said, the only did we ever want to get even with are the people that have helped you. Don't be angry about it. I mean, look where you were three months ago, three years ago. Look where you are today. You, you just have no idea. 
if you're about to become the go on the greatest journey of your life. So embrace the moment, enjoy the journey. Sure, I like that um, you're trying or you are doing something positive because when you go through the situation of divorce, even though it is so common, everybody throws guilt your way. You're not doing the best thing for the kids. You're not. You should be forgiving. Blah 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 blah. But guess what? It didn't work. Now what? And so the reason that I did this show is I said, okay, well, now what? I mean, you could tell me all the statistics about how horrible my kids are going to be and how horrible my life is going to be and all that. But guess what? You know what? The interesting thing that I find, um, and I'm, I'm not going to talk about necessarily the kids, because I know kids, and I don't care whether parents are married and single, they, they, they've ended up all different ways. That's the reality. Right. They've ended up all right. kinds of ways. But I've got to tell you, quite honestly, my single friends – seem happier than my married friends. They just seem like they're better off in the emotional state. They're okay. Uh, and then, let me just say this. My single friends who want to get married, I'm not talking about that set of people, that they've never been married. I'm talking about the people who've right. been through a marriage, whether it's good or bad, it's, you know, they, they ended up divorced. They seem okay with it, and they're fine and they're healthy, whereas all the people who are married, I mean, I think the term happily married is a joke, an oxymoron. Because I don't know anybody happily married. <laughs> so you know I mean, what I, I'm, I'm, you know I'm what saying I that tongue in cheek, you know, because I'm, you know, there are happily married people out there. But it seems like the people who found their, you know, I did a show called Happily Single, and those were people who've never gotten married. But I've met a lot of people now post divorce, you know, because you find people with common life situations that seem cool with what's happening. You know, you talk about your experiences, but they seem more at peace than the married they're, they're totally at peace. I fully agree with you. It's always, this I found always kind of humorous is that when I first got divorced and people found out, but, well, prior to the divorce, the people wanted to give me all advice for the married people. Once I got divorced, <laughs> it was amazing how many of those people came out of the woodwork and started telling me about their own problems. You know, and, and there's this saying that God, the, the people want to live vicariously. Yeah, people want to live vicariously through you. I got no vicarious to lift you. What I do have is some peace because I'm happy with what I'm doing. And quite honestly, I'm happy for my children. One of the greatest things I think divorced couples can do is learn to co-parent effectively and do it successfully because what greater way to show your children that people can have a major disagreement and still get along in life. It's a great experience for your children. It's a, it's a learning lesson. Well, you know, something is about really learning about conflict resolution. Now we're two different countries, but we can still get along. This is not the Mideast. <laughs> okay. Dr. Veronica, you hit it right on the head. You have to quit acting as adversaries for, towards each other and start acting as allies for your children. Yes. Yes. And, and I, I must say I'm happy that my former spouse and I can be – co-parent and be on the same accord with what we want for our, our sons. Right. So, but right. there are there are people out there that they, they can't do that. Now, the interesting thing I've noticed about people who have trouble co-parenting, um, and, and I mentioned this to somebody once, when you look at people who have trouble, a lot of times the, the, the person that they chose was a jerk when they chose them. <laughs> so you, and we all could have foreseen that they wouldn't be the best parent. And you chose right, right. to bear a child with them anyway, and so the people that I see that have problems, they're they're it's it's that the person was a jerk, but they they always have been a jerk, and you don't right. you know leopard doesn't change the spots. 
so. Is that what you've seen, Bill? I have a saying in my book, that, okay, you marry a jerk, get over it. Get on with life. And it's exactly what it is. They, they aren't going to change their spots, but we have to be willing to let go of our ex. We talked earlier, I heard people talking earlier about dating again. Do not start dating as a single parent until you are totally over your ex. I mean, you have got to let that go, get it out of your system, because otherwise you're not willing to enable to get to somebody. But, uh, you know, we all, we all have, I know a lot of couples who got divorced next year are very good friends these days. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Bill, I I have uh, I, I heard a saying. I, I've told this to Veronica too. I've heard I've heard a saying that I very much subscribe to, and that is that you know once you break up out of a major relationship, whether it was a marriage or whatever, if it was a long long term relationship, um, you really have no business dating or looking for another partner until a full year has gone by. And and the reason for that is not moral, it's not ethical, it's not religious or anything like that. The reason is simply that um, you need to go through a full calendar year to reset back to who you are as a single person. You need to go through a birthday, you need to go through a Christmas, a Valentine's Day, a summer vacation, a New Year's, everything. You need to go through it once by yourself Um, because if you jump into a relationship before that, it's not about being improper. It's, It's simply that you're statistically you're doomed really to failure because it's probably a transitional relationship. And what you're really doing is trying to fill um, the role of your previous partner, right. fill the voids that you feel, you know, fix the loneliness. Yeah, and I agree with you, Russell. I, I'm not sure what the actual date is, although I've told a good friend of mine who just recently got divorced and has been unhappy for quite a while, and now she's happy as can be being divorced. He said, but you also have to go get the sacrificial dates out of the way. Meaning, you've got to go date that one that you know isn't going to work out for you, but just do it as a test run. Get it over with. You know you're not going to get committed. You know, it's um, uh-huh. but everybody, you got to have a sacrificial date somewhere. Now, whether it's a year or nine months, I, I think everybody's different. Uh, because some people do check out mentally and begin that process prior to the actual divorce. I mean, we, we'd all be so lucky as to wake up one morning and say, okay, we're not getting along. We're going to do what's best for the children. Let's get divorced and go to the courthouse and do it in a day. But that process normally takes months and months of anger and et cetera, et cetera, to to do it. But I I don't disagree with you, Russell. I think it's probably pretty good advice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I I think that's a good idea to do the – we'll call – I don't like sacrificial dating, but do the sacrificial dating. I say, you know, (laughs) I I, I went out on dates and all that kind of stuff with really no intention. Yeah, with really no intention of getting serious or anything like that. But just to go, right. first of all, you got to learn how to date again. you got to learn what to do, what to say. The landscape a lot of times changes from the time that you got married until the time that you're dating again. So it's just like, okay, what is it like going on a date? What are my quote-unquote strategies going to be? What are my rules going to be? What can I deal with? Right. What I can't deal with? And for, as far as a relationship is concerned, I was like, okay, I was in this relationship for many years, but now I need to figure out what really works for me. And I feel like what Russell was saying once he said it, which is how it, you know, has been ending up in my life anyway, it was like, yeah, yeah, you do have to go through a lot of things alone. And the good thing is once you go through it alone, you realize I can do this. 
and it's not so bad, and I'm not going to die. And my first Valentine's Day out, I bought myself flowers and chocolate. I didn't even want anybody to do it. I'm serious. I was just, look, I was like, look, I have to love me, so I'm getting myself the flowers I want and the chocolate I want, and, you know, it, it felt good. Now, yeah, you want somebody on the other side loving you, and that's all well and good and great, but to know that I, I'm going to get through this and I'm not going to fall apart and crumble and die, and I don't have to have somebody next to me all the time, to me, makes made, made me feel more confident. Well, and I agree, Dr. Veronica. You know, in my book, it's kicking butt as a single parent, but it's also 99 tips that every single parent must have. And every tip has an action step that you document because I'm a firm believer that if you can't find a peace and a balance and that happiness and that success for yourself and confidence, you've got to create that foundation if you're going to be there for your children. Because if you don't have a strong foundation and you just dive back into the world or feel guilty or feel angry, What's going to happen is you're not going to be able to have the foundation for your children. And at the end of the day, for me, when you really drill down in my book, my book's about kids. It is totally about children because you know, what can we do? Society tells me my kids, as I said earlier, are going to turn to drugs, get pregnant, get thrown in jail, and contemplate suicide because I'm raising them, which is totally wrong. My children are never going to do that if I'm present for them, if I show that I love them, I listen to them and I let them know they're safe. Well, I have to do. Yeah, so don't believe that rhetoric and don't believe that hype that's telling you all the different things. You can raise healthy children. So yes, I want to thank Bill McLeod. His book is Kicking Butt as a Single Parent, and his website, singleparentstown.com. Russell, tell us about our next guest. Our next guest, I can tell you, is a very patient woman. Uh, since we, She's been waiting very patiently to come on since we spontaneously extended the show to 90 minutes. Her name is Dr. Jackie Black, and she is, I believe, a relationship coach and author of a book called Meeting Your Match. Welcome to Wellness for the Real World. Yes. Now, Dr. Black, thank you for being on. Thank you for waiting because I know she has wonderful things to say, and so she gets the tail end to hear the wonderful things she has to say because you talk about strategies for leaving behind regret and moving forward. Um, Dr. Black, you're a psychologist? Yes, that's correct. Although okay. I don't practice anymore, um, I am a recovering therapist and uh, a relationship coach. And the, and the thing that I love about being a relationship coach is that I can come on your show and shows like yours and really talk about strategies for living uh, and for moving forward. And that's the basic difference between therapy and coaching. Ah, okay. So I, I love it because she says she's a recovering therapist and I'm a recovering physician too. <laughs> and, and I'm all about talking about strategies, and that's how I like to do my show. I feel like I want people to come away and have some strategies for whatever we talked about. Okay. Yeah, so, I, I agree. Dr. The Black. fact that you can talk about things without being able to make them operational for people, it's almost like why have you bothered taking their time? Oh, absolutely. So now tell us some some of your strategies. First, let's go through healing from divorce. When I went through divorce, I realized that I, I realized I felt a lot of grief. Even though I decided I wanted to end the relationship, it was, let me just say, the death of a dream. I thought I was going to get married, be married happily ever after. I'm going to grow old. We're going to go on the family cruises together. I'm going to be a grandparent. It's going to be wonderful. 
now I don't have that. And I just, I cried over that and not having that dream and vision and thinking, okay, well, now what do I want and what do I have? Not that I want to go back with that person, but I felt like my princess, my fairy prince's life is now gone. Now what? Is this common? It's very common, and except that you are very rare and wise to really recognize that you are grieving. Most people don't recognize that it's a normal, natural, necessary response to loss. And divorce is one of the most major of life's losses. And you've lost not only today and your experience of today, you've lost the hopes and dreams, as you talk about, and you've lost your whole future as you have envisioned it. So divorce is a giant emotional rupture. It's a giant emotional rupture. I have have a friend who's been married 37 years, and now she's getting a divorce. 37 years, okay? You don't know what to say because by that point, you're really into we're going to grow old together. You're really there, and now it's over. So what do you – tell us what you would tell us for for people, you know, there's people who are younger into getting divorced, and I'm like, okay, well, you still have, you, you think when you're a little bit older, oh, my God, um, I, I'm too old, I'm not going to have a life, now I'm going to be alone, what do I do now? What do you yeah, there are lots There are lots of, of additional issues when you've been married a long time and when you're older, but the beginning is always the same for everybody. Recognize and understand that grieving is a holy feeling experience. There is no cognition. There is no thinking. There is none of that. There is anger, sadness, anxiety, depression, and guilt. I'm going to say those again. Anger, sadness, anxiety, depression, and guilt. And they, there's no stages. Forget stages. Forget phases. They come in waves and pangs at different intensities, at different times, sometimes one at a time, sometimes a couple, sometimes all at the same time. And there are tasks to complete in the grieving process. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross did her work about bargaining and all of that, that seminal work, but it's the most misunderstood body of work ever. She did her work around people who were dying, not people who were going to live in the presence of loss. Ah. So that's when we have to, yeah. So that's when we have to understand that those of us who will live in the presence of loss need to understand that it's a holy feeling experience and we need to expect a very important word, expect that we are going to be train wrecks emotionally. And there isn't any amount of coping or defense process, or defense mechanism, all the stuff that we've used all our lives with the little losses are not going to work with the emotional rupture of divorce. Hmm. We're going to be puddles, right? And when you were talking about murderous rage, I was cheering because it's really true. You were really feeling. That was a whole feeling. And yeah, but you you're taught you're like not supposed to have those thought. feelings. You're taught you're not supposed to have those feelings, and especially that I was the one who chose that I wanted to end the relationship. I'm not supposed to have any of those feelings, and that was the thing that just, first of all, I wasn't necessarily expecting it the way it came on. But, you know, you talked about those things. You, I want to ask you to mention those five again, but let me just tell you another um, additional thing 
or emotion that I was feeling too. I don't remember you saying this one. Shame. You said guilt. Shame. Because you have to well, realize about- I was in a situation of being in a fairly religious type thing, and there was a lot of shame that came to feeling like, oh, my God, I'm among all those other people now who just end failure because I felt like I can get an Ivy League degree, I can graduate from medical school at honors, I can do this, I can do that, I can do this, I can do that, and I couldn't keep together a relationship. Well, and there's two things that you said. Let's talk about shame and guilt in a minute. But you said you went to medical school. Did you ever go to relationship school? Oh, no. Well, nobody does that. (laughs) And nobody graduates. Well, exactly. And, And that's the problem. Love is not enough. See, we really need love plus self-knowledge plus partner knowledge plus the essential relationship success skills. So the fact that we don't have any skills, we don't understand that we need skills in order to create, to build happy relationships is a big problem. But let's go back to shame and guilt. Shame and guilt are the same and they're different. We live in a shame-based culture. Shame is like rust to the soul. If shame had words, shame would say, what is wrong with me? If I could be better, different, more, then. And we really have to stop the shame and understand that guilt speaks to what we do and what we say. It's behavior-based versus being-based, right? So we can feel guilty that we might not have done our best or that we reacted in a way that wasn't our best self. So guilt is normal and natural. Guilt is as normal as fatigue or hunger. And guilt speaks to the investment and to the involvement that we had in the relationship. So guilt is normal. Shame, we really have to call time out on shame, because shame is really about our being. We have to understand that we are good and we are enough. And sometimes we behave in ways that we wish that we were better. How do you get past things like guilt and shame? Because you've got to realize that when you're walking out of a relationship, the person that you thought was your everything is heaping upon you many times, and, you know, not just on both sides, such negativity that you really start feeling horrible about yourself. Okay, so, you know, when this guy who claimed he'd love me and take care of me all the time was calling me a slut and a whore in front of my kids, I wasn't feeling too good. And I felt shame. Yes, yes. And you were supposed to. His behavior, that that was what he wanted you to feel. When people, and I'm not speaking about him in particular, I don't know him, but when people behave that way, there's a meaning behind that behavior. And to denigrate you and to weaken you was the point. We have to understand and recognize that in the middle of the worst emotional rupture imaginable, we at some point have to grab onto a shred of thought. We have to engage our left brain while our heart is broken. And we can do that because the head and the heart do not know about each other. They're mutually exclusive. And we have to remember that their behavior is not a message about us. It's not about us or an indictment of us. That their behavior is really a message about them. Just one message. That's the only thing I invite people to remember. The rest of it, you don't have to remember or engage your brain for a while until you're at a certain point through the the, uh, grieving process. But that one life-saving 
left brain cognitive concept. We have to hold on to it. It's like a life raft. A life raft. Their behavior is not a message about me. It's a message about them. Now, guys, didn't I tell you I saved the best for last? <laughs> not, not that the other ones yeah. were very good. Yeah. This is Jess. Okay, Dr. Jackie, moving forward with new relationships, give us some advice on that. Okay, decide, decide right now. You're now we've engaging the left brain. Decide that you were a willing participant in the relationship. That you showed up. You were there. There were lessons for you. There were experiences for you. There was stuff that you needed to know. Decide that it's right. Decide that you're done and that it's time for you to be more and more of who you already are. Because you can't change the past. If we could change the past, and I would support everybody to live in the past, wallow in the past, but it won't help. So we need to decide to be present and to move forward, that we can create the life that matches for us. We really, really can. That there are lessons about the past that will hurt. So what is it about the past that I can bring with me in terms of a learning, new knowing? What part of me is better or different? or new, and then to grab onto that part and bring it with me with mindful intention. And that's very, very hard, but it's key. When we're building a new life, we have to do that mindfully and intentionally, right, with deliberate intention. Otherwise, we can get sucked back into the feeling piece. Yeah, so uh, so um, now we are in the last minute of our show and I'm so glad that this was the book end at the end of the show, Dr. Jackie Black, which her website is drjackieblack.com. She is a relationship coach, a background in psychology. You can tell that. She talks like she knows the research and all that, which is my kind of person. You guys know that. I love you. I love this kind of stuff. Um, I want I want strategies for moving forward for everybody out there because this is hard and I talk about this type of stuff on wellness for the real world because guess what? Your relationships and your stresses are going to affect your physical well being. Your emotional state yeah. is going to affect it. And this so we your, need has... the Dr. Jackie Blacks to tell us how to do this better as we go forward. And I love the I'm gonna take the good parts of me forward. So I want to thank all our guests on Wellness for the Real World, and I want to let you guys know next week I have a guest that some of you may or may not know. If you've ever listened to The Secret, you know this guy, Hale Dwoskin from The Sedona Method. He's going to be our guest next week. I want to specifically talk to him. I read the book and let go and everything like that. It was a beautiful thing. And so I want you to know that. So Wellness for the Real World with Dr. Veronica. Go to the Blog Talk Radio site. Click on $26.2. That's what I need. I'm doing this marathon for charity, and I need to raise money, okay, for people who are ill. I'm into helping people, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to run the marathon. I'm doing the hard work. You just got to get out of this textbook. Welcome to the world. Join us next week, Tuesday, 8 p.m. live. Thanks, everybody. Thank you to all my guests. Wellness for the Real World with Dr. Veronica. Good night, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.